0: First I'm gonna say I'm really glad we came to Toronto. <laughs> Hello everybody and welcome to a special bonus episode of the Spoiler Warning Podcast. This is part one of our coverage of the Toronto International Film Festival um 2023. Uh, I am Christopher Schneezy. And I'm Stephen Miller. And if you're joining us for the first time, the Spoiler Warning Podcast is a weekly film review program. Each week on the show, we dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest films coming to a theater near you uh, this week and for the next few episodes. Uh, They will be coming to a theater, most likely near you sometime in the near future I- ironically a bunch of the things we are seeing will be in theaters within a few weeks um yeah. uh, maybe not a bunch but some uh, but yeah we're here we're doing the festival thing steven and i are sitting across a coffee table from each other in an airbnb here in uh toronto and uh yeah this is day for us it's day four five five. of five festival. I-, I think five it's officially day six of the festival we did a red eye on the first day and uh, or i guess at the end of the first day, we did a red eye into the city. Um, and, yeah, we're, we're seeing a crap ton of films. Um, basically, for this episode, we have hit record on uh, the good old setup here. And uh, we're going to record until we have to run out to see another film. Um, so I, I don't know how long this episode is going to go. But uh, it's, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to find time to sit down and do recordings while we're here, let you know about stuff that we uh, thought this is super free form we haven't exactly planned out how we're handling this but um we're kind of just going to go in order of which we saw films and uh talk about them so uh you're ready to do this steven oh i'm ready all right um let's get into it uh how do we want to start Uh, first film up is Anatomy of a Fall Uh, who wants to introduce it?
1: I I can introduce it because so the first day especially uh, we caught a few things that I had already seen at Cannes that I was just really really excited to revisit and the first one is Anatomy of a Fall uh, Justin Trier's latest Film. This is the palm door winning movie at Cannes, and it is basically a procedural uh, or a a courtroom drama about an author who may or may not have murdered her husband. Basically, did he fall or was he pushed is the premise (laughs) of the film. Um, What is interesting about it is this is a courtroom drama. It is very much meant to be a kind of talky movie, but it is also unpacking a marriage and what does a marriage look like to the outside world. World and what does it feel like inside and kind of what would happen if suddenly your marriage and your conversations were blown up and interrogated would you find a motive yes or no and how do you choose to choose to be happy versus make other choices um i guess we <laughs> we should have thought of the format before no yeah i mean it's fine it's just we'll go for it yeah so I, I guess we'll we'll say what we thought and then lob to the other person yeah, yeah. um I really enjoyed this film at Cannes. I thought it was very provocative and just the, the dialogue, like crackles, you know, it, it's just a movie that is very juicy and has a lot of really interesting bits, especially as it per, pertains to the marriage of Sandra Huler's character and her husband. Uh, there is an argument in the middle of this movie that is just riveting. Uh, one, one of my favorite moments of a film that I saw at Cannes this year. Uh, I have to say, watching it a second time, it it lost its luster a little bit for me. I still think this is a very, very good film, but knowing what it was doing and where it was headed, the, the art of just watching it unfold wasn't quite as exciting as I hoped it would be. So I still really liked it. Glad I saw it a second time, but this bumped down just a smidge from the kind of raves that I was feeling back in May.
0: Yeah, I, I I can see how it might have a little bit less of an impact, given that this is a long argument that takes place over time. And it's played in the context of a, you know, it's a secret recording, basically, where nobody, I mean, at least one party <laughs> member during the argument knew that it was taking place. But we, the audience and the courtroom and the witnesses and the prosecution and the defense don't know what's on it, really, when it's being played. We're all listening to it in real time, and it sort of ebbs and flows in the way arguments go. And that is going to be used as evidence, at least in in the sake of an argument. So it's knowing exactly what will be revealed at what point, how far through, can definitely dampen that. Um, For me, it was my first time seeing it, so it didn't dampen it for me, obviously. Yeah, Um, yeah, I I enjoyed this film a lot. We kind of talked as we were walking through the streets after the screening, maybe later that night, about, um, you know, there are some aspects to uh i guess french law proceedings that i don't understand enough to know or there were certain aspects of of this stories trial that kind of made me wonder how things go but as far as what the film was doing and what it was trying to do i really really enjoyed the beat to beat of it um I, I thought it was a very, very interesting depiction of something like this. You know, I kind of uh, related it to HBO's The Staircase. Yeah. Um, I didn't watch the documentary version. I only watched the narrative version. But that was really a story of a highly charismatic person in a, um, a clearly-he-did-it sort of situation, and you're trying to watch if his charisma can override your assumed guilt. This film isn't doing that. It's more of a there's just some uh legally speaking there is an assumed guilt due to the situation and how many people weren't present and and stuff like that but what you're not watching a person who you're like oh they clearly did it now let me see if they can like talk their way out of it you're just watching a a fairly ambiguous situation and kind of watching things where you can get how either side could believe given different circumstances one way or the other and i thought it was just a very very interesting dissection of this relationship and um kind of the court proceeding as a whole i think you know, there was a line of dialogue in this film that kind of states the thesis of the film, which is like when you don't know, you kind of just have to decide one way or the other. And this film is letting you, the audience, kind of do that. Like yeah. there is an eventual, uh, there there is a verdict at the end of the trial. I don't believe personally that the film... Uh, is necessarily in alignment with that verdict. Um, it's more a like, like, just because of that whole premise, like, it's like, hey, you decide what actually happened if you can't really tell. Um, so just you decide as you watched it. it. it definitely. And, and there's something that it's playing
1: with the whole way through, which is the kind of the nature of, reality versus fiction and the stories we tell ourselves. And the the person on trial is an author. And so not only does she have works of fiction that they can interrogate and ask how much is she borrowing from her real life? How much can we use this in the trial? But she can also weave narratives. She can make very compelling arguments with her husband, with the jury. She can turn things around and steer and control you. And the, the question is how much of this is honest and how much of this is the manipulation of someone who is really good at weaving narratives. And when you choose to believe are you succumbing to fiction are you being manipulated or is this just how we live as we build little worlds and we find ourselves in them so it's playing with a lot of stuff and it it, i have to assume there's some meta elements not that Justine justine's husband was murdered or anything (laughs) like that but the idea she is someone who also makes films that have meta fictional elements to it so i think this movie was operating at many different layers so it's a it's a cool one
0: yeah there's another app interesting aspect to it where like the person who is representing this woman is somebody she has had a past sort of relationship with and there is a there's another layer to it it's not just did she do it or not it's does the person defending her believe that she did it or not um and it's like just the pure like in a normal trial that person should recuse themselves (laughs) (laughs) but I guess, like, it's, you know, there's an interesting uh, aspect to that as well that was kind of fun.
1: There's also a clear answer to what
0: animal he looks like. It's a meerkat. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, uh, yeah, so uh, that was Anatomy of a Fall um all right rushing forward we're gonna talk about a little film called uh how to have sex um which is a story uh like i think if you're a long-time listener of this podcast you know uh at least steven is very uh interested in like coming of age stories about like young women you know in situations that are like you know new experiences trying to like basically learn hard lessons about life right and this is sort of a story that i think um that you know That you were definitely excited for going into the festival, Um, but it's basically about a a young girl. It's not. I don't. I don't. I don't remember where they are or how old. Like I was confused by how they were just buying drinks everywhere. Yeah. Well, I
1: I believe in the UK, 18, maybe even 16, you're allowed to buy beer. But I, I believe they are senior in high school, probably 18. And in some kind of party town, the equivalent of like a spring break Mecca, but yeah, for, yeah, but for the UK.
0: So, so it's basically a, a group of, of young girls who are off to a party and they kind of are going out. Um, they range in various life experiences that they've had. But we kind of follow one girl who um, is being teased by her friends because she is a virgin and she is going off on this vacation where all the friends want to potentially find and hook up with guys. And it's sort of her sort of experiencing uh this i don't even know how many days they're on this trip like we'll we'll say it's a week or something like that um and it's kind of them meeting up with a bunch of guys and having some sort of uh experience uh with them um yeah i i think that uh you know this is this is a this is a film that um you know builds tension and stuff really really well you're watching these young girls kind of they, they start off as like kind of charismatic slash obnoxious youngsters who are kind of going around. Like if I was staying at the hotel that they were at, I would be so angry and I would leave the hotel because they were just very loud and obnoxious, but they still have like a, a, an aspect of like, like, Oh, look at them having fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, like it's enough to draw you in, like care about the outcomes of what's happening for, for these girls. But they meet some fellas who are uh, definitely, uh, You just want them to not hang out with them. Yeah. (laughs) Because you're like, there's no good that can possibly come from hanging out with these, uh, you know, just slackers. We'll call them slackers. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But yeah, you're you're basically watching these girls who kind of all have their agenda for the trip and kind of have competing desires of what the outcomes are, potentially competing jealousies of what outcomes they might be achieving. And you're kind of just watching them go. And, you know, I, I think in the end, I... I enjoyed the ride of this film, but when I walked away from it, it wasn't something that stood out. I, I know we talked a little bit comparatively about Eighth Grade, which you might be talking about when you get into your spiel, but it's kind of a thing where, you know, for me, it didn't hit the highs of a story of a coming-edge age tale like that. It was mostly like, a like, I know the beats this is going to hit. I'm uncomfortable with them, but let's watch this ride. And at least there is some care between these characters and you can see sort of the the drama between them that like works and all feels authentic and stuff like that. So I I enjoyed it enough. It didn't really, it didn't blow me away. Um, I, I have a feeling you liked it more than me, um, but uh, why don't you let the folks know if that's true?
1: Yeah. uh, This is the kind of movie that I don't really want to spoil even tonally, which is Difficult because you, you, you kind of described that it hit the beats you were expecting it to hit. For me, I would say halfway through the movie, it very much surprised me in okay. the direction that it went. Uh, going into it, I assumed this was just going to be a kind of keenly observed coming-of-age story, and everything I heard out of TIFF, or not TIFF, out of CAN, was making it sound like fun or identifiable or things like that. And it does have, there is fun to be had here. It is a very naturalistic looking picture of these three, I'm going to say girls, young women, again, we don't know exactly how old they are, um, who are on spring break. And they're making bad decisions the way one does at that age. You know, they're, they're partying hard, drinking, waking up feeling sick every day. And <laughs> much like uh, Andrea Arnold movies like uh, Fishbowl and American Honey, which I love, uh, it is just depicting people behaving in very human ways. And at first, it feels like it's going to be a lot, you know, it's going to be overwhelming. And there's this tendency, at least I would have to try to like, if not judge the characters, at least watch them through like through my hands and be like, please don't make these decisions. But (laughs) the movie has so much love for them and for their flaws and the way that they relate to each other. I found it like completely charming and captivating in its kind of opening presentation of these these girls. And then when the guys are brought into the picture, there is this hint of a threat, you know, when when you have a lot of people together partying hard every night, especially in a very hookup obsessed culture that is ripe for disaster. And I think the movie yeah. I, I just think it does a really, really, really good job of walking that tightrope of being being realistic and being that the threat is real and there's a lot of real feelings that come from this movie that, that can be hard to watch. But it isn't just, for me anyway, a cautionary tale where it's moralizing or saying, and that's why you don't get hammered on spring break or that's why you don't crave the attention of other people. Like It isn't judging the women for existing in this hookup culture. It is very much siding with them and emoting with them while also portraying some of the the terrifying aspects of it. And I, I just thought this movie did something really interesting that it could have fumbled a million different ways. And the fact that it manages to preserve that authenticity the whole way through, I just thought it was really moving in a perspective that I hadn't seen before. So you mentioned Eighth Grade. I was talking about this as it feels like an older, kind of more harrowing version of Eighth Grade, where it's, here's a person, uh, the character of Taz, who just wants to be accepted. She wants to be, you know, she's, she's a great bubbly personality to be around. She's a good talker. She's fun. She's the life of the party. But she is craving some kind of acceptance into the club of, quote, the cool girls. And that is inherently difficult to watch. It can lead to some scariest situation yeah. so I, I i just thought this movie had a whole lot of heart and I, w- I was really won over by it in ways that i was not expecting
0: yeah, yeah for sure um i, I do i do kind of wish that like some of the heart is is left pretty subtle in it or at least characters don't get the time to show their heart as often and you know the film the film tries to book amend itself in a way that steps on that like the real heart showing through a little bit at the end where it's kind of like you see the actual bond and the love that some of these characters have for each other and then it's kinda like, oh yeah, that's right. But like, let's do it, bitches. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's kind of like I, I kinda wish it 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 weighted into the bond that certain characters have and the support they have for each other over just the the parting. But like, I it agree handles with it well, that though. Yeah. I, I feel like
1: to to your point though that uneasy alliance between having this deep feeling and regret and support for each other, and then being like, "fuck it, let's keep living." It, I think it is kind of saying something about how it feels to be alive and be a woman today, oh, yeah, where yeah, like yeah, they yeah. actually have to carry that contradiction the whole way through. So I, I didn't see it as
0: uplifting necessarily, but I th- I saw it as a choice. Oh no, yeah, I I think I think it handles its subject matter very very well. Um, it just in it just not it doesn't last with me as some other things do, yeah um but you know i I enjoyed it enough, I did not at all dislike this film, uh, yeah, it just didn't stand out to me the way some other things do,
1: yeah, so speaking of subject like films that linger, uh I was so excited to revisit perfect days, uh the Vim Vendors film that I first saw at Cannes. um this is the story uh, of a man who lives and works in Tokyo, and every day of his life follows a very, very similar routine. He wakes up, he waters his plants, he gets vending machine coffee, he drives past uh, Tokyo Skytree, he listens to music on a cassette tape, and then he goes to his job, which is cleaning toilets uh, in Tokyo, largely around Shibuya, Uh, You know, scrubbing away He takes the job very seriously He cares deeply about doing it well And throughout that process He just spends his time observing The world, you know He is a quiet observer He barely speaks in the whole movie And he is just looking at awkward interactions With people, you know Working in toilets, as you can imagine When you interact with a customer There is the need to show some grace And there's a lot of clumsiness in the attempt Um, he spends a lot of time just looking outside at the way light shines between the trees or the way shadows might cast on the bathroom in a particular way. And this is really just a movie about um, finding beauty and meaning in the small things in life and the world that you can create for yourself when you are not not hiding from other emotions but trying to make something beautiful in a life that maybe has had its share of hardship. Um, I thought this movie was absolutely beautiful. Uh, I loved it maybe even more the second time I watched it, which is impressive for a very slow film where intentionally not a lot is happening. Um, it's just everything I love in in films. that lowers my blood pressure. <laughs> <laughs> I, I described it to you when I came out of Cannes as being like Patterson, but set in Japan, and I, I very much believe that. This is about finding the poetry in everyday life and a person who, who minds his job and his day-to-day routine for beauty and then it just kind of examines why would a person be like that what happens if the flow is interrupted and it I just I, I just love it. I'm, I'm such a big fan of this movie. And I got to practice what I preached because the audience was terrible <laughs> behind us <laughs> in this movie, making a ton of noise. Uh, the guy sitting behind us literally would sing along with the music cues when they were happening as if to prove that he's so smart that he knows the most famous songs on earth from the 70s and 80s. Um, and I was angry for a few minutes, and then I decided you know what what would this film want me to do it would want me to look at the absurdity of a guy sitting behind me doing all this and just smile to myself and be okay be okay with the fact that there are people out there that are gonna be you know that are gonna be loud he's having a 10 out of 10 experience and i just have to smile and be like it's okay he'll get there eventually so i i love what this movie is doing really big fan very curious christopher what you've felt about this movie
0: yeah so like one of the big praises i will give about this film is that i didn't notice that man that you hated during the screening because i was at least dialed in enough to this film um it is kind of funny because like one of the things that i've I, i'm pretty sure i've talked about on the podcast and, and this is gonna seem like a wild swerve in the other direction but it, it, I'll, I'll bring it back um I've never been able to play The Sims games like like The Sims, you know, um, because to me it was this like distilled distilled version of normal life, which is you have all these daily routines that you can't ever break out of and you kind of just do all the things and then it's time to sleep and get up and, and do it again. And like it put those games put me in the stressful state where I'm like, I'm not having fun. I'm just doing all the banal things that life envisions and I can't do anything fun in between and it kind of just it makes me like depressed in a way where I'm like this, this is not I'm never going to play this game anymore because it, it's a waste of my time and I, I don't see it this film is all about what if your entire life was that but also was beautiful and you actually really really enjoyed the routine of life and seeing all the little simple things and you know going to the park and just observing other people who are also in the park and looking at light coming through trees and listening to music and actually like really listening not not having music on in the background or as a thing to distract you but really just taking in the feeling of that song as you drive along and do your your do your job and like enjoy it and stuff like that so i i think this film is actually a very very beautiful film that really actually drew me in um Especially like that last shot, that last shot like sums up the entire film, sort of just that, that perfectly taking
1: in music and feeling the whole spectrum of emotion.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it's like, you know, we've talked in the past too about, you know, films that end with like a shot just lingering on a person who has to like fucking act really hard through the beginning of where credits will start yeah, showing. call up. me by your name. Yeah. In effect. yeah. And it's like, in this, it's like, what if that, but like every variation of that. Over the course of like verse to chorus, verse to chorus, mm-hmm. and it's you know I I I really found myself kind of intrigued by like how much some how much you can love washing toilets. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if, if you think about a, a job that would not be glamorous or exciting, um, but just like the simplicity of doing this act, but actually taking pride in doing something as simple as just purely cleaning and seeing how other people. Appreciate, you know. To be fair, these are you know one company that owns all these toilets, but they're all wildly different and designed right. in different ways. And like, there's an aspect of of architectural design that is is put in these Tokyo toilets that are that are exciting and and, and interesting on their own. Like a person visiting for the first time will be like, "Oh, that toilet was that was kind of a cool toilet." But like, really having pride in something that you do and spending time, even if it's just like you know. At the end of recording this podcast, if we, you know, gather up our cables and stuff, there shouldn't be anything in there. But there is some beauty in the way the cables coil around each other. You know, like this film is really just about like you know, almost quite literally stopping and smelling the roses, you know what I mean? Like, sit, at, taking a chance to really just breathe in your environment and recognize the beauty in it and see other people and see, you know, you in encounter a person, you see them, um, you know, maybe you see uh, an asshole who drunkenly talks through a film, like every screening here at sure. at, at, uh, at TIFF, um, but maybe, you don't know what their day was like, maybe something horrible happened to them right before they came to the screening, and that's why they're drunk now and being an asshole. You know, like, this is, this is a film really about kind of like noticing somebody else in a given moment and then extrapolating out to what their entire reality is based on just seeing them sitting on a bench, sadly, eating a sandwich alone. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what I mean? like, there's, you know, there, there's something really interesting that this film is doing. And uh, yeah, I, I kind of loved it for that. Um, yeah, I, I, I love that you loved it.
1: I do just want to say the lead actor, uh, Koji Yakusho, he won um, the Best Actor Award at Cannes And I think it was so deserving. Like he just, he carries the movie and it is not... The, the way we're describing it sounds like it is only going to be simple, like, oh, I'm enjoying everything, I'm happy, I'm just looking and smiling, but there is like a really interesting interiority that's hinted at throughout the movie of like different sadnesses and other things he's been through before, and I think he, just, he carries the weight of all of that really, really, really well. For people who have seen Paris, Texas, which is probably the most famous movie that Vim Vendors did, I think this is a really interesting comparison to the silent protagonist of that movie, where here it's someone who's like, embracing the whole spectrum of emotion in the world and he is at peace with it like he isn't bottling anything down but he is choosing to be silent and observe and it's just a yeah beautiful movie
0: uh moving on from this uh you know very very intriguing film we're gonna walk to a film that uh let's i mean let's face it we were very excited to see it you know the premise alone um and then i think sadly what we got was a lot of call them interesting decisions that were made around this. Um, This is a film called His Three Daughters, um, which is basically about uh, three sisters. Some of them are coming home. One of them already lived there. But basically their father is uh, ailing and probably won't be around very much longer. And they are sort of gathering to... um, Basically, it's it's an at-home hospice sort of situation. And they're kind of taking care of duties and and talking about how they're going to deal with him as he is potentially dying very soon. And from the, literally the opening second of this film, it was clear that there were directorial decisions that were being made about the style of the dialogue and the acting choices that characters were making. That um, I mean, I'll, I'll let Steven speak for himself, but uh, they they didn't work for me. It really felt like it was going for like a Wes Anderson-style quick dialogue, um, but it was missing all of the wit, and it was wildly mistoned for what the story was that was going on. As it started, I was like, I'm definitely, this is this is not vibing with me, and the film never really won me back. I, I I think we might actually disagree, but at the ending, I felt like it was at least... The emotional beats of the ending of this film, I think do work in isolation. Not enough to bring me around on this film, but I was like, I felt I felt it worked and it had finally hit the correct tone for what it should have been going for. But what do you know, the, 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 the three daughters are not talking in any of that scene. So it's like all of the stuff that worked were not the main characters that carried the story. The things that worked were, this emotional beat towards the end of the film where a different character gets to speak, um, on their own behalf. And it's sort of, um, I, I just, I thought it was a wild swing and a miss. And, um, i was this was my first bummer of the festival so far, Stephen. What did you think of it?
1: yeah, I mean I, I have to agree with you, so the draw of this film is honestly the cast. The three daughters are Carrie Coon, Elizabeth Olsen, and Natasha Leon, who are three wildly different types of actresses in the roles they choose to play, and the movie is kind of playing to them. Each of the daughters has very distinct personality you know the the Carrie Coon daughter she seems like the like the eldest or the alpha of the group, at least she's the planner. She's the, Oh, I have to do everything myself. She's very brash. She's like very task oriented. Elizabeth Olsen plays a kind of, more spacey, she's like a deadhead and she wants to be peace and love and do yoga in the mornings and all of that. And then Natasha Leon, of course, plays a Natasha Leon <laughs> character. <laughs> uh, she, she smokes weed, she does sports betting, and she's someone who just wants everyone to kind of shut the fuck up or be real to each other rather than put on a facade. Yeah. Um, the movie feels very, very, very much like characters are reciting a monologue for some kind of audition to be in a school play like it feels so written to me like you can hear the punctuation <laughs> yeah. when they say the sentences and it is like breathless uh, when, when you mention uh wes anderson it's because characters are delivering dialogue like jason schwartzman yeah, in yeah. asteroid city or something they are breathlessly saying things before a normal human being could possibly have actually decided what they wanted to say um at first, I was hoping this was all intentional as a way of trying to subvert it, like the daughters are performing grief to each other, they're going through the motions, they're saying the thing they believe you are meant to say when your father is dying. And I was hoping there would be a kind of turnaround moment where the movie would open up and just the beating heart would come out and it would let go of all that facade. But it it doesn't really. Um, yeah. it, for the entire film, as far as I can tell, Natasha Lyonne is the only real human character in this, and that is beyond when it would just be a statement of how the daughters are. It seemed like just the fundamental way this movie was made, and that made it really ring false to me because there are a lot of, quote, big moments. There are a lot of things that you can imagine being the Adam Driver punching a (sighs) hole-in-the-wall marriage story moment in this, like as if it were written to be the big dramatic back and forth that would get played in the Oscar reel. And I just felt like none of it rang true at all. And those beats that to your point might work in isolation, emotionally, it just felt like too little, too late. So it, it, I received it as emotional manipulation rather than as, ah, they're doing something beautiful here. To me, this was really just not a successful film at all.
0: Yeah. And and the only, the only reason it, it worked for me is because it didn't require the, the sisters to have earned it because they weren't the ones causing it. So it was like a person who hadn't committed the, the crimes of the previous part of the film was getting to do their own thing in a film where they were hitting exactly what they were trying to do. And it was like, oh yeah, this is great. <laughs> um, and another good example, too, of the, the lack of authenticity, um, it, you know, it is a trope that young girl, like, if you grow up with a really, really close sisters, you kind of have your own language, you, you have ways of talking that other people have no idea what you're talking about, because you have this special bond that you sort of, you know, sometimes it's it's just like, you know, twins, sometimes it's just, Girls all around the same age, Um, but there's like several parts of this film where they talk to each other in this made-up language. But there's no like we are trying to avoid letting somebody know what we're communicating. It's like people are in the other room and they just go and they're like, "Yep, I'm gonna." And you're like, "I I, I get what you're doing. They have their own language, but why? It doesn't feel natural. It feels like, hey, you know how." like sisters who grew up really close to each other have their own language, here it's them doing their own language. And it just kind of, it just didn't feel real at all to me but it's like i knew exactly the trope it was trying to go for but i was like why why this feels so 100
1: stru- structurally and on the page i can kind of get why this might have seemed like a home run but i just don't think it came together at all like if you believed all of it those moments could be beautiful but you don't at least i didn't believe them and that hurt the film a lot
0: and that's the thing is you just make different acting choices and this film is pretty decent yeah <laughs> you know what i mean like it's 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 such a conscious choice to make it be this way, and that didn't work at all for me. And it's like, that's the thing where it's like, wow, I could, like, literally don't change the script at all. Just change the directing choices and, like, the notes you're giving to your actors, and your film is fine. Which just sounds like me being an asshole now. <laughs> but, but, you know, hey, this just, that's
1: just the way I feel. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, moving on to the next film uh, that we saw, I am going to butcher French pronuncia- pronunciations. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> I'm going to butcher English <laughs> pronunciations, apparently. Uh, but this is uh, Les Indesirables from uh, Lodge Lee. Uh, this is a follow-up to Les Miserables, which came out in 2019, I believe, maybe 2018. Uh, it, it was a can premiere. And that story, that original one, Les Miserables, was this kind of powder keg type of film. It was about police brutality in a largely African immigrant suburb of, uh, I believe it's meant to be a suburb of Paris, but it's somewhere in France for sure. Yeah, um, and that film was all about how an act of police brutality could eventually snowball into a full-on riot. And that film really ended with this kind of incendiary challenge to the audience of rise up and fight you know this was it was an outcry of anger and so i was really 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 excited for this movie to see what is this director going to do next you know he made the challenge he did the battle cry now this felt like the 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 wires attempt to like now let's zoom out and look at the whole structure this movie is looking at again a very similar uh, neighborhood, uh, you know, in particular. It, it
0: feels like the same building. It like might be the same building. It, and it starts with the same drone shot, right? So it's like I kept being like, hmm, this feels like it's the same exact complex. Yes, um, and, and but... this
1: is film two in an intended trilogy. I'm not sure what the third one is going to be called, but that is apparently the. Okay. the he is trying to make some broad statement about all of them. Uh, but yeah, it takes place in kind of a, a large crammed apartment building where this immigrant community lives. And clearly the building is not being maintained. You know, they're they're packed together and it it is zooming out and look at the political structures. Uh, A new mayor, an interim mayor is being elected. He is starting to enact policies because he wants to be elected and again, and he wants to look good and be creating, quote, safety in the community. And those policies are very regressive and are pushing and making life even harder for the immigrants in the community. Um, And this is about the kind of power struggle where he and the police lash out in one direction. And then in the people actually living in the apartment buildings, we kind of have two example characters where one is she is more politically open she wants to work within the system like she she literally already works in government in some capacity i believe in like the housing department
0: yeah she works with people who who help assign places that you can move into like she's part of that like i don't know if it's a raffle or what it is but she's like home placement that that's like Whatever that organization is called over there, that's what she works as yeah. a volunteer or something for.
1: Yeah, and, and she's kind of the stand-in of the person who thinks you might be able to improve the system from within by yeah. getting a voice, rallying people, exerting pressures like nonviolent protest, you know, raising your voice, voting, things like that. And so she has this one path where she wants to try to influence the mayor. And then there's another character who is kind of the stand-in for the... Person who has been disillusioned over time, who maybe started out being that political optimist, but now feels that there's no there's no hope left, but to just fight back, and like the only way to fight fire with fire is to th- close yourself <laughs> Literally off. Literally fight it with fire. It, it, exactly, <laughs> um, and and so in a way. Uh, what i would say i love what this movie is going for like i i appreciate the director's vision and i like this as a sequel to number one and i kind of am interested to see how he caps off this whole trilogy but as a standalone picture it's like a it's a parable where it is so obvious where the characters are going to go and what beats they need to hit it it didn't feel like it gave enough interiority to them for me to believe the actions of everyone involved yeah it it, it was a bit too simple and even though it does have kind of big moving set pieces in it compared to Les Miserables it just felt like it was tasked with a harder challenge which is let's present the what next question mark and what next is just inherently less moving and harder to make feel like a rallying cry and it that meant I had to watch this movie as if it were just a straightforward, naturalistic drama. And it is not totally naturalistic. You know, it doesn't give enough interiority to the camera, the characters for you to really feel why they're making the choices they make. So yeah, I, I appreciated it. I liked it more than I disliked it, but I definitely think it is a step down from Les Miserables, and that is unfortunate. But hopefully the third movie is going to come back and capstone all of it, and then as one vision, the trilogy will be something that I really can stand behind
0: yeah so so Stephen gave me homework uh, to watch les miserables and i had watched it the, the saturday basically before we came here so that film was pretty fresh in my mind and i was kind of excited going into this because i did enjoy that film but that film is also a powder keg and it's it's like literally one act of police overreach can be throwing a match into a situation that can ignite everything and burn it all down right it's sort of a a violence begets violence sort of um like everything is so unstable that if everybody isn't working to keep things going, it's all going to collapse and we're going to be screwed. This film is more of a... And it's funny, too, because there are so many cast... So many people from the previous film exist here playing very, very similar roles, and it feels almost like not just a spiritual sequel, but like aged-up versions of those same characters. They have the same mentalities, and they're playing similar roles, and it's kind of when you take the situation from being an act that happens to a very young person and causing society to, 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 overrun. And then now you have like, it's more, it's all not elevated from the standpoint of, of being like higher art. It's, it's elevated in the standpoint of like, it's now higher, adu- like more adults that are not just like young cops doing dumb shit. And then a bunch of kids like mucking about and then other territory disputing different groups of people like kind of um all leading towards this event that could possibly call cause a bunch of unrest in the city it's like a bunch of bureaucratic stuff and it's kind of trying to look from this is what it, this is how it is in the streets in the previous film and this is how the bureaucratic system is now and it's like that is inherently less interesting like it's it's more face value it's more like yeah this is clearly bad this interim guy is an asshole and he's doing stuff that's bad but it's like there's not there's no nuance there and there's no there isn't a lit match slowly burning towards like this fuse that's burning towards an explosion that's going to happen it's like okay like i'm sure something's going to go down at this end, end of this film but it doesn't feel like a constant worry of dread that is building and i think that overall this film feels more more heady i guess yeah. at the sacrifice of being more visceral and it doesn't have the weight that that first film does i'm still curious where the, th- the third film will eventually go but it just it felt more it felt like it was m- working more on paper than it was in the reality of the film and um you know i i just i it didn't most of my enjoyment of the film came from recognizing all the cast members and the Feeling the, the way the film was homaging the previous film, or feeling at least like it's in this, it's literally in the same canon, right? Um, and I think that if, if I wouldn't have done the homework that you gave me, Stephen, I probably wouldn't have enjoyed this film at all, um, to be honest. Like, it, it's more of a thing where, like, I'm part of, I'm part of this film series now, and I appreciate. The follow up, but I don't. It, it, it wouldn't. If I watched these out of order, I, I might not have gone back and checked out the first one based on this one. Yeah, so. I, I
1: understand that. I, I will say, even though the broad strokes didn't totally come together for me, there were a bunch of individual moments that still felt well observed. Like there's a. A restaurant that exists in this apartment, and it's like an unlicensed restaurant, you know, but it's yeah, yeah. where everyone congregates. Uh, there's the the different way people get around the challenges of a building with no working elevator, having to conduct a funeral or move furniture or things like that there are a lot of things that felt very well observed and interesting that i think are yep. going to live with me but the broader story as a whole didn't add up to a narrative that i'm going to remember
0: yeah, yeah. i mean that, that that's the thing you're hitting you're, you're you're hitting it on the head for me is is like i'm i'm the narrative guy <laughs> like you really need to give me the narrative everything you're talking about as far as the depiction of everybody involved in the story is like perfect and, and like it's it's all that is really really compelling um, but what I want is something that narratively drives me to be like, oh, shit, what's going to happen next? How do we solve this problem? You know, like, I, I really want to follow these characters and not just be like, well, we know the obvious solution. <laughs> right. You know, um, but but yeah, I, you know, it, it, all in all, it, it I wasn't bummed to have watched it. It just didn't it didn't hit me the way the first film did. Mm hmm. All right, so next up on the uh, list is a little film that we saw called American Fiction. Um, American Fiction stars Jeffrey Wright, and basically he is playing a a uh, a black professor and author who has been becoming a little disgruntled by the fact that nobody is buying, no publishers are buying his books, and uh, becoming even more disgruntled when he sees that a lot of these publishers, especially white publishers, are in this uh, mode where they're trying to buy um, I guess, for lack of a better phrase, uh, blacker and blacker books, or at least books that the black publisher or the white publishers feel are representative of uh, what they think black authors should be. Um, so he, one night in, uh, in uh, you know, an uh, I guess an attempt at irony to write uh, the blackest book that he can, and uh, much to his surprise, uh, interest forms around this uh, book. Um, that was written by the pseudonym character of his. And it's sort of a sort of takedown of the current publishing industry and uh, sort of uh, <laughs> interesting look at what this character believes um, the merit uh, is of writing books and stuff. Um, this is a film that is uh, incredibly funny, um, <laughs> I had a great time watching it um i think it's a it's a big crowd pleaser um but it's also like surprisingly like emotionally poignant like you know there is the takedown of um the current publishing industry and stuff like that that whole satire is there but it's also like has this huge emotional heart to it this is a film you know at the festival we've seen a number of films that involve um you know family tragedy uh involve romantic entanglements and this film kind of in a way blows most of those out of the out of the water there is a there is a scene in this film that involves the reading of a uh i I guess i guess it's an obituary it's like sort of a you know a statement of somebody's passing and like that is it's almost played for a joke but like in that moment you find out more about this character than we have in many other (laughs) films that we've seen And and i just found that like the highs and the lows emotionally of this film are so much stronger than most of the stuff we've ever seen. Plus it is just, I mean, you know, never going to not enjoy taking the piss out of white people. (laughs) He says as a white person, podcasting on a podcast full of white people. Um, But it's like, it's, it's incredibly funny. Um, Nice biting satire performances are amazing. And, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, a really, really fun time. And, You know, I didn't know what to expect going into it. I was optimistic it was going to be fun, and I was kind of blown away from the minute it started. Um, So, yeah. Stephen, what did you think of american fiction
1: yeah i adored american fiction i thought it was great it is like like you said a totally biting satire it has some very big funny moments but it also it's the kind of movie that i love seeing with an audience and also feel deeply uncomfortable seeing with an audience <laughs> because there are laughs here like it, it is It is making a mockery of the appetite white audiences in America have for what at least the character of Monk Ellison sees as like reductive stories about black trauma, things that flatten, things that are oversimplifying and overly moralistic and, quote, authentic or, quote, raw. And that is a tightrope dance and the risk that audiences are going to be laughing for quote the wrong reasons yeah. or not seeing themselves being implicated in the thing they're laughing at it is both so strong and also part of the thrill of watching this movie is like how incendiary and fucking with the audience it is the the whole way through yeah. i think i think what really makes this movie interesting is it is very clearly A satire. It is very clearly stems from a cynical look at, like, a certain appetite, again, that white American readers and movie (laughs) watchers have. uh, This is based on a book from 2001. I'm not sure how much has been updated to make it feel relevant to the 2020s, but it feels like remarkably of this moment in terms of what it is making fun of. But it is also kind of looping back and telling the story of this. Neurotic guy played by Jeffrey Wright Who he can see the machinery at play He can see how people Write these quote best-selling books He thinks he knows how to do it He thinks he knows how to phone it in And because he sees how the machinery works He thinks it's all bullshit And I don't think the movie is saying he is right It does some interesting things to also say Like him living this life where he is like too cool for school and cynically dismissing everything else that's also flattening of the whole of human experience and that also isn't being open and authentic either and it's just doing something really interesting where it really feels like an author and a filmmaker collectively wrestling in a movie and inviting you to wrestle with them and go through this kind of roller coaster um Issa Rae plays an author that is both the subject of his kind of ire or at least his cynicism at the beginning of the movie yeah. and also gets to be fleshed out and have more nuanced, more interesting thoughts and feelings. There's a, a girlfriend character of Romantic Entanglement who also enjoys both the kind of stuff that Monk writes and also enjoys these kind of popular things that he's dismissed out of hand, even though he himself admits he's never read them. So it. Yeah. I just thought this movie was doing so much interesting stuff where it is like, you know, Sorry to Bother You is a movie that was referenced in the Q&A that I was definitely thinking of. This is almost be upside down Sorry to Bother You, right? Rather than making fun of someone who can do the, quote, white voice, this is a movie making fun of white audiences' appetites for a phoned-in, flattened-down version of what they think the black voice is. Yeah, But it, it just is also like a... I'm a sucker for movies about getting caught in your own head and kind of the perils of being overly neurotic and overthinking yourself out of relationships and out of love and empathy. And I think that to your point, the movie does the empathy thing well too. It does the personal family life. It shows the like kind of gallows humor that he and his family trade in that maybe it's both heartwarming and also an example of his aversion to certain kinds of sentiment, which doesn't make the sentiment bad. It's just not who he is. And I don't, I I just love this movie. I thought it was so, so, so clever. And, um, I loved feeling uncomfortable in an audience and just like feeling like
0: everyone is going
1: through this ride together. So this was one of my highlights
0: of the festival for sure. Yeah. yeah, It it was great. And like going back to some of those emotional beats too, like, uh, you know, there, there is a scene in this film where somebody finds out that, that they were proposed to, or, or I guess somebody else finds out that a person who is talking to them was proposed to. And like, We know nothing about the history of any of these characters, but it still made me tear up. Just the joy that character was expressing in the moment of like, like, hey, this is happening now, and every like everybody's genuinely like genuine happiness for that person was like, how is this film? That maybe did we see it around? We saw it around the time that we saw his three daughters, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, Same day. Yeah, because I don't. I don't know if it's like. (laughs) a thing where it's like just in opposition to a film like that the authenticity of it rings true so much but it's like i found myself really invested in who these characters were and even like seeing like jeffrey wright's character of like he has a view of the world and he's angry about that and the more what he thinks is his opinion being reinforced gets the more angry he gets yeah. and then it starts to pull down on who his characters. And and then, then now you care not about like the joke of how far this thing is going in the satire but about the actual journey this character is and you want him to succeed not financially but exceed emotionally with the characters that is there so it's It's uh, yeah, it's I I had an amazing time with it. And
1: maybe I'm reading too much into the movie, but I feel like so it has this structure where it's largely around Jeffrey Wright, this author who, again, is is doing this thing that starts out as a cynical joke and then keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And he gets more frustrated in the process. And then in the periphery are all of these stories that could be seen as the kind of like simple heartwarming stories that he is rebelling against, right? There's like yeah. a, a family tragedy. There's a, the acceptance of a queer sibling of his. There's this heartfelt romance that we don't get any access to of two people that seem a little bit, quote, more like simple in how they're fleshed out, like we don't get to know a lot about them. And it, it's almost like he has all these real narratives and he's blind to the fact that those also exist and there's merit in them. And I, I, I just think the movie is doing something intimate with like sentiment and cynicism by yeah. smushing them all together. And I, I, don't, I don't know exactly what it's saying there, but I think that combination is part of what makes it more than
0: just a scathing satire. Yeah, so so random question that just came to me as you were going through that just now. Um, you know, once again, haven't read the book that the film was based on, so I don't know how far these separate apart. But do you think there's also a kind of meta thing happening here where the film is... A specific film about a specific subject where like the satire is front and center but do you think the filmmakers also i could also do all those other stories perfectly mm-hmm. and i'm going to show you how perfectly i could do them but i'm giving you the sat- satire you came to sit down in the seat to see um but also i'm going to emotionally hit you with all these beats that would be in all the other films because like there are aspects of this film that overlap with every other film we've seen right <laughs> at the festival and in a lot of those cases again american fiction does it better and it's just like it's it's interesting to see sort of just like the magic trick that's happening where it's like yes you want to consume x but i am also going to show you that like the stuff that i can write outside of satire is really, really strong and good and impactful. So Yeah,
1: I, I think there there's definitely something where in the wrong hands it would feel too clever by a half because it does seem like it is, it is giving you all the unbearable weight of massive talent sort of things of, like, I'm diving into a bunch of different genres just to show that I can do it. Yeah. But there's so much softness and empathy and self-questioning that goes along with it that I just, I, I love the way it ties together. It feels like even if he is flexing, it doesn't feel like a show-off. It feels oh, yeah. like a... I'm flexing, do you understand how exhausting it is to see how all the strings are being pulled and to be, like, frustrated but know that it's moving but also not like why it's moving and I just, hears all of it. You know, know. there's this feeling that he's just handing you everything. Moving on. Yeah, so I believe if my list is correct, the next one up is Wicked Little Letters. Um, That was a film that I honestly read nothing about pretty much any of these movies going into the festival. (laughs) I, I picked them. And then I remember that I'm excited to watch them, and then I completely forget why I'm excited to watch them and just settle in for a nice surprise. Uh, This is a period piece uh, in the 1920s between Olivia Colman and Jesse Buckley. Uh, Olivia Colman plays this kind of um, very prim and proper woman who's still living at home uh, with her family. In England, uh, she is an extremely good woman, righteous, church bound, you know, uh, leads all of these women's groups with her friends. She's prim and proper. And Jessie Buckley is the person freshly in town from Ireland who has a filthy mouth. She drinks like a sailor. She curses. She, like, she is the polar opposite of Olivia Colman's kind of prim and proper character. And this film centers around a collection of letters mysterious anonymous letters that have been sent to Olivia Coleman's character that are deeply, deeply disparaging, <laughs> um, cursing <laughs> nonstop in ways that I, I told you offline remind me of this uh, sketch about a per- Vanessa Bayer, like cursing and not even like knowing exactly what she's saying, but just cramming all these dirty words together. <laughs> um, This movie is just an absolute delight. Like this quote mystery that isn't really a mystery of who is sending the letters and what is going to happen. Um, It is just a completely juicy story for these two actresses to play together and they're having the time of their goddamn lives doing it. Um, I'm not going to say this movie is high art or has some incredibly incisive message that it is making or anything like that. But for... 100 minutes, I had an absolute ball just watching them go at it with each other. Just two really, really meaty roles that they make the most of. It's a fun crowd pleaser. The audience was hooting and hollering the whole time. The Q&A was fun afterwards. It's the kind of movie that I don't know if I would have watched if I were not at a festival where it is playing, but I am super glad that I did just for the kind of big shit-eating grin that I left the theater with. (laughs) This is a movie that basically makes you feel like you are doing something naughty by listening to bad words. (laughs) And in a world where we curse constantly, it is kind of amazing that the movie, it puts you in that mindset of a prim and proper time and place where women at least weren't allowed to speak this way. And then makes it feel so daring and fun and silly when they get to burst out of their shell that it, I I don't know, I, I just really enjoyed what this movie was doing, even if at the end of the day, it is quite light
0: fare. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think when, when, you know, looking through all the films they were playing at the festival, I saw this and I immediately thought, like, female Banshees of Inish Aaron. Oh, yeah. Um, and that's kind of why I was interested in, in checking it out. Um, I didn't, you know, dive too deep into what the actual story behind the story was, um, but I was excited for it. And, yeah, I, I think you get exactly what you're expecting from this, um, two amazingly talented uh, actors playing off each other and, and just having an amazing time. And uh, yeah, it's it's a really really fun film, um, and it's it's yeah, like as you said, like that skit. It's it's about <laughs> it feels like somebody who doesn't know how to curse cursing <laughs> in all the things that they think really bad cursing is, um, and then you know another character who does curse, maybe uh, potentially being in trouble. Uh, you know, and, it, and it's kind of like it's 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 really really fun. Um, yeah, it, it's just an amazing time, and like you said, it, it's. It's already fleeting in my head, right? Like, it's already partially gone, but... When you're sitting there in a theater watching that happen with a crowd of people who are all responding in the exact same way and enjoying it, I'm sure there was somebody in that theater who was like, oh, let's go sit down and see what what's happening in the theater. Um, somebody definitely had problems with that film. Uh, like somebody in that crowd. You know an older woman. like, sure. like Just like someone's, someone's, someone's really nice grandmother was just like sitting in the bag getting ready to see her favorite actor in the world and then just got like completely shocked and had to you know wander her way out of the theater but for everyone else it was an amazing time and uh yeah people should check this out when it comes out the theaters which i'm sure it will be yeah i'm sure all right now we are moving on to a little film called Great Absence uh which is a story of a young man and his estranged father and he is sort of uh getting it, it, it basically his his father was starting to go through essentially dementia i guess and um it it's sort of a like um the father was living in sort of like a um a like machinist or memento sort of situation where like everything was getting written down right. constantly and referencing it, and the kid is sort of. Getting to know his estranged father through the notes the father was leaving himself to figure out how to kind of survive in the world, um, I am going to pass this along to stephen um, to to talk more about it i don 't have anything really negative to to say about the film it's just more of a film that like i was I was watching and following along, but it wasn't it wasn 't fully gripping me in the moment. Um, so I don't have a lot of things to say about it. But Stephen, do you want to talk more about Great Absence?
1: Yeah, sure. It's hard to speak much to the plot of Great Absence, because this is very much a moody tone poem of a of a movie. It isn't so much a kind of plotty work where there's some grand reveal that you get to in the end, though there are some emotional reveals. But really, what yeah. this movie is about is an, an estranged son visiting his father now that his father's memory is no longer there, and kind of putting together the pieces of what was his father's life, like who was this man that he barely knows now, how can I understand the good and the bad of him, and then just kind of the the hole left behind when someone is not a part of your life, and like realizing that you can never fully understand them. Um, it, it's a movie that I thought was rather beautiful in moments like I think I think it's really lovely it's slow moving it has some really nice emotional uh, voiceover moments in particular in what I thought was going to be the end of the film um But it does outwear its welcome a little bit. This is like a two and a half hour film that I think could have easily been two hours and stuck the landing in terms of the emotions that it's that it's playing with but i I enjoyed it. I thought it just was visually really lovely. I thought the emotions were really strong in the movie, but at the end of the day, it is a slow cinema type of thing. It isn't something that left a long impression on me at least in terms of plot
0: or character growth yeah, yeah and and two, this is one of the things that the festival they did have a trailer for and i did watch the trailer for and i was thinking like i don't know if i'm gonna vibe with this film but the trailer looks beautiful and like the film executes on that for sure um i just didn't fully connect with with it it as a whole
1: yeah it's also it's very much a film that lives in negative space like it isn't showing you the big emotional moments it's letting silence do the talking and letting you kind of infer what the son is thinking through and how the past he had with his father was and why it's meaningful for him to watch these things and that is something that i admire on like a tonal level but it can make it a little bit harder to get pulled in uh, but still, I was happy that I watched this. It's something that at least uh, in terms of the emotions that it brought out, it will live with me for a while. But the plot, honestly, is already starting to leave. <laughs> um, the next film in the list uh, is a little movie called Daddy-O. Uh, this is a two-hander. Like, quite literally, there are only two speaking roles in the movie uh, and they are Dakota Johnson and Sean Penn. Uh, Dakota Johnson plays a woman who is landing at JFK and hailing a taxi to go home to Manhattan in Midtown and Sean Penn plays the taxi driver that picks her up. Uh, This is a film that is all conversation. It is quote, near real time. That is at least the intention of the film. It basically flows the way that a long cab ride home, part of it being stuck in traffic would flow. And it's just these two very different people, you know, different places in their life, different types of human beings having a moment of, conversation um, they talk about life they talk about sex they talk about some of the joys they've had they kind of up the ante with each other to get them to slowly reveal more and more to one another and I thought it is very impressive that this movie works, <laughs> um, <laughs> at all. It, it is the sort of thing that there are precedents, you know, My Dinner with Andre, the before movies. There are definitely movies that can make it a full length, just having a conversation, but it's really, really hard to do. And to this film's credit, especially to the two stars, they make it captivating. They make you always engaged with what they're doing. And the way they slowly reveal more and more pieces of themselves is really, really well done. I admired it a lot. I wanted it to have something deeper to say in all that revelation, and I feel like it kind of circled the same themes over and over again without ever really mining for more. So I think my expectations were a little bit too high once I realized how good it had the potential to be. Um, I'm still very glad that I saw it. I still definitely recommend this to anyone, but I, I feel like these two actors especially could have done something incredible, and instead I got something that felt very true to life in terms of the way two people reveal each other to each other, but it didn't, it didn't quite hit the highs or the depths that I, that I wanted it to hit. But I think you loved this movie more than I did.
0: I mean, yeah, I definitely loved it more than you, <laughs> you did. Um, I, I love this film a lot. And I think, you know, the films that you're comparing it to, the films that are in this genre of two people meeting and having these long, prolonged conversations that seemingly are the only thing that the film is centered around, um, one of the things that makes those two things different or these and those other films is those other films are characters coming together for an interest in coming together, right? Those are two people who meet and now this is them sort of figuring out what their chemistry is mm-hmm. together. And this film is more about two people who, under any other given circumstance, would write the other person off. Yeah. And it's only the fact that they're together. This is not two people romantically finding each other and then potentially like something happens after the movie's over, right? These are two people who have a brief moment in time, decide to extend a courtesy conversation to another person that goes to wildly inappropriate places. And at every time it takes one of those turns, the, one of the two people could decide to disconnect and move away. But because they're four, you know, this is, this is more like a stuck in an elevator sort right. of film, right? You know, it just happens to be that one of the people is driving that elevator. Um, but it's it, it's a type of story where it's like these are the meaningful conversations that, are, that could be impactful that you could have with every single person that you meet on the street and if you live in a major city right like this film isn't gonna work in like a rural setting or something like that but like being you know every time you get into a lift every time you you know interact with a person in the lobby of your hotel or you know like this this film is kind of finding these chance meetings and just having a conversation that should mean nothing could mean a lot to you and at least communicate Do, do all the characters like the longer the time goes on from the end of this film to whatever their life becomes, they will let go of and loosen up. It's not, it's not like their life was actually changed, necessarily. Right. But they do have, like, the night means something to both people. And I really like what it's doing there. The conversation isn't always insightful, um, but the interaction between these two people is insightful. And just two people realize that the other person cares enough to entertain the idea of having the conversation has its own kind of beauty and interesting thing there. Um, and just the performance is great. Like yeah. it, it's, this is, you know, it's a different kind of funny than wicked little letters, but it is almost as strong in moments. Like both uh, actors are showing their range of like these characters that they're playing. And it, it's like, I, I just, I found it a really, really impressive feat. Um, and I just, You know, I was I was drawn in and kind of in love with both characters in this film um, in different ways. But like, you know, it, it, it was it was a great time for me. Now to another film, which, uh, you know, is also about big city living. (laughs) Um, And that is a little film called Concrete Utopia, which is basically a film about uh, living in uh, these 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 giant like company owned skyscrapers uh, in in Korea. And, you know, some like giant disaster happens as this film is starting and kind of all of korea is is reduced to rubble it's basically like a roland emmerich film at the very start of this film and then what we're watching is there is one remaining sort of half of a high-rise building where people can live and this concrete utopia is sort of the what happens when the people the, the the residents of this one last standing building decide to build their own little like System of government, I guess, that rules who's allowed to live in or outside of this apartment. And uh, it is, you know, I, from the original image that and the description of what this film was supposed to be, it, it felt like it was supposed to be sort of documentary-ish. Um, and what we got was like a very, very modern film <laughs> that was wildly different than what I was expecting. Um, it's 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 kind of fun. It, yeah. it, it's, it's fun. It's silly. It is weird, and it's sort of just, you know, like, what happens when, you know, a group of people... And obviously, this film has got all sorts of metaphors <laughs> in there. Um, but, yeah, I I don't know that I liked it. I was entertained as hell by it. Um, just watching the... It's, it, you know, it's a post-apocalyptic world, uh, but instead of it being, like, a whole town, it's one one little, like, apartment building that people are trying to you know, the create a us versus them sort of scenario where only the residents are allowed to live there and everybody else has to fend for themselves on the outside world. And just what happens to society as it breaks down, as people realize that this isn't a good way to live. Um, Steven, I know you were, you were definitely excited at the possibility for this film. Oh yeah. Um, How did it work out for you? Yeah. This is one of those
1: things that again, I, I think of as a very festival experience is seeing these movies with a brilliant, premise like a central metaphor you completely understand why it was created why there was so much passion behind it and there's definitely a joy that you feel just watching someone get their vision put to screen you know having that idea and being like you fucking did it you made a feature (laughs) film out of this idea the metaphor is out there now it's ours now and there's there's a joy there's a you know an excitement to it and to this film's credit it is never boring right it it always continues to maintain the story keeps upping the stakes I, I enjoyed it well enough. I do feel like after the core idea, you know, this, um, this us versus them mentality, how, how quickly people turn into warring with each other and fighting for their own survival, very much a triangle of sadness, third act type of thing, right? <laughs> yeah. it, it takes this idea, Where you're like, I get what you're doing, I totally see what you're doing, now what? What are you you going to do now that the core exists? And I feel like this movie didn't really do anything surprising with that core idea. It just kind of, it planted the seeds and then followed it along for a two hour semi-action-y, semi-sci-fi-y, mostly drama-y. Movie And it was fine. It was completely, completely fine. But when I compare it to like a Snowpiercer or something like that, clearly this is not in, in that tier of film. It's something where the central metaphor is something that will probably linger for a while, but that this feels like a short film that was turned into a feature without having a feature length worth of ideas yeah. and i'm i'm not sure what i would do to fill out a feature film and keep that central metaphor alive but for me this one just kind of it mostly fizzled or felt like repetitive after the first yeah. 20 minutes or so
0: so so I, I will say this i kind of saw this film as leaning more into satire and humor mm. like a dark humor i guess more than than uh actual genuine drama like there are moments that were you know it's got the swelling music but i interpreted it as ironic like <laughs> I, I kind of i like i was not emotional once during this film even when there were really like there are moments where you're supposed to be crying but i i interpreted it as ironic crying like this is the moment in the the film where you know these characters would be saying this and, and like i never bought it as being real i only bought it as being metaphorical satirical and all that kind of stuff so it, it that could be a my calibration problem um but it but it definitely felt like it wasn't really trying to make you feel so much as like think at the start and then it it's almost like a thing where it sets up a premise where it knows you understand that the premise would never work in real life and right. then you're just watching the fun of how they interpret how it would Happen if somebody tried to actually do this in an apocalypse. Yeah. And it's kind of like the exercise is successful. It's just the film doesn't necessarily last with me, linger with me. In that. It's more of a film where, like, if you just like. You know, if you were like, what? what is this film? Like, if, if it popped up on Netflix and it was like number two in, in five countries and you're like, all right, let me check this out. You watch them and be like, whoa, that was kind of fun. Oh, yeah, this would <laughs> this would crush
1: it. And it seems like that's almost what it's aiming for. Yeah, it's like yeah, the yeah. kind of movie that could be discovered on Netflix. And in that context, you would say, wow, this has like an incisive social point. It's like it, it's, it's satirizing something in an interesting way. It's making me think I get it. It's just when you're calibrated to I am watching a film at the Toronto Film Festival that has this premise, I, there's just a lot of times when yeah. characters are learning something that we already knew about or we implicitly understood, and it isn't like... I didn't see those as being played for laughs, really. I saw those as just going through the motions to tell a whole story. Yeah. And there, there were just times like that where it felt dramatically not that compelling to me. But still, I, I love the movies like this exist, and especially that more... Big bombastic genre films are getting celebrated here rather than only being like kind of personal, intimate dramas. Like, it, it I, I enjoy, I, I enjoy this was a great way to kind of break up our schedule for that day.
0: Yeah. And, and, and it would, it would be a good pairing if he watches the double feature with the platform.
1: Oh, yeah. A hundred percent, which I believe we reviewed at the time as being Snowpiercer, but vertical instead of horizontal. Yeah, Snowpiercer in an elevator. Yeah. Um, so the hard pivot to the last film that I think we'll be talking about today, uh, certainly the last film that we watched on that particular day, was something that I had seen before at Cannes. Uh, it was far and away my favorite film at Cannes. It is very likely my number one or two favorite film of this year so far. I mean, it, it's so different from other things, it's hard to really rank. I hope I'm not overhyping it. I obviously am. Um, <laughs> but this is The Zone of Interest by Jonathan Glaser. Um We both at some point watched Under the Skin, uh, yep. Jonathan Glazer's previous film uh, following Scarlett Johansson as a kind of, I believe she's an alien. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's an alien. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And
1: we I, I really enjoyed that film, but it is not emotionally stirring for me. Like it—it it, it is the filmmaking kept her at a total remove on purpose. Like you are watching her as if she were just a real person driving through like the cash cab or something. And, yeah. then-
0: and, and, and it, it, she quite literally was in a lot of those scenes yeah. like she was actually pick, like filmmaking wise, she was literally picking up strangers and they weren't. Like privy to the fact that a movie was being made, so
1: exactly, and so it was experimentally very, very interesting. I think a lot of the world loved it more than you or I did. Um, the zone of interest, Jonathan Glazer's fixation on how to flatten emotion, you know, push things as far from being dramatic, cinematically manipulative or whatever as possible, makes so much sense with this film. It is the story uh, of a commandant of Auschwitz. Uh, and his family, who are living next to the concentration camps. Uh, His job is basically as an operations manager of sorts. He's going through the daily bureaucratic boring, banal kind of work conversations. At at one point, he is recording a message telling um, people not to pick too many lilacs because the lilac bushes are for everyone to share. And if you pick them all, then we won't have as beautiful campus anymore. There are things that you can imagine a thousand different ways this story could be a sort of heightened damning satire almost like a jojo rabbit right like you could imagine a version of this story that is we are going to tell this drama straight and the audience will see some kind of dark damning humor by virtue of the way that we're treating these characters with dignity jonathan glazer does not do that Uh, the zone of interest plays like a They described it as, like... uh, Big big brother. Big brother. Yeah, Nazi big brother, essentially. And that is 100% how it feels. This is a film that is... It's 10 cameras that were set up in this house that they constructed to recreate this family's house. And it is just watching people going from room to room, having conversations, draining all the emotion that they can from this. And it is very much a critique of the kind of structures that allow great atrocities like the Holocaust to exist, you know, the, the banality of evil, the bureaucracy, the, the way you can turn into someone who doesn't feel human emotions anymore by just going through your life with blinders on and choosing not to think about the ramifications of your actions. Um, I thought this movie was just absolutely stunning. It is like technically perfectly achieves what it wanted to achieve, which is this, daring statement that is making the audience wrestle with themselves with how they feel in in this conversation around Oppenheimer of depiction versus omission and like what are the moral requirements of a filmmaker to depict atrocities versus do they run the risk of dramatizing them by depicting them I think this movie is a major artistic Landmine yeah. in, in that conversation that is taking it to the furthest extreme with very, very, very clear intent. I mean, it, it does have harrowing moments largely in the audio. Like, there are times yeah. where it is hinting at the periphery of what is going on and clearly trying to remind the audience of the atrocities happening just next door. Um, I think this would be just an interesting art house film if not for some moments where Glazer deviates from that. Um, There are a few kind of experimental things thrown in where a fable is being told and the film is doing some really interesting things depicting that happening. There's a what I would call a musical moment somewhat late in the film that normally with no context, I wouldn't feel anything, but with the... The volume of emotions lowered so much the way he does here. I find it just incredibly moving. Um, and some tricks toward the end that I think are just really interesting in pointing the camera back on the audience. I, yeah. I think this is just such a complete, interesting, damning work of art. And I really, really, really am... Love is like the wrong word because this is not an emotional movie at all. But I feel, I, I feel that it is very powerful. And I love that this is something out in the world that people can grapple with.
0: Yeah, I, I think I think for me this is a film that I appreciate more than like um, it is a fi- like I I am very very narrative forward in the things that I consume and 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 and, and I mean it's stupid to say enjoy when you're talking about the subject matter of this film but like the the things that really pull me into a film will be the narrative and this film is sort of absent of narrative but where it, what it lacks in narrative it is completely immersed in depicting something without depicting it like i I, as we were walking away I, i forget exactly what i said but it was something like this is like the most subtle unsubtle film that's ever existed like it is it is what you are watching is not in your face but it's still also completely unsubtle in how like damning it is, but it's also a very very simple idea but it, but it's everything that you're watching is outside of the frame you know when you talk about like horror films and not showing the monster until the end, this film is always both showing you and not showing you the monster it's showing you like the monstrosity of what is happening, but it also is just showing people working around the house and doing their own thing, having conversations sometimes about horrible stuff, sometimes just about whatever they're talking about at the time, the cakes that they're eating or whatever, you know, it's it just, this is a film where you you can almost watch this film with your eyes closed and still kind of get as much out of it as watching it with your eyes. I mean, you would also miss all the, you know, brilliant choices of yeah. how yeah. to depict things visually, but half of what this film is doing is just like right on the other side of the fence, horrible atrocities happening and you're always privy to them being there but the scene you are watching has nothing to do with that and that's kind of the point and it's just like a really really interesting way to talk about this subject matter um and it's just like one of those things where like i was blown away by what the film was doing it wasn't a movie that i liked (laughs) but it, it was like i really really understand what you're doing and that was an amazing way to decide to do that but it's like it's it's not, it, it's like, it's hard for me to tell somebody to go watch this film. But if you go watch this film, you will get a lot out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's this weird push and pull for me there where it's like, brilliant film. I really believe in what it was trying to do. I don't know who should watch it. <laughs>
1: yes, and my my feeling is that everyone should watch it yeah. because it is, It's interesting because saying it out loud, what it's wrestling with seems obvious. Like, it's easy to say, how do we live comfortably in a world where evil, horrible things are happening? You know, how do you how do you live with yourself when you are tuning out suffering and potentially upholding systems that are doing terrible things to other people? Yeah. Um, that is very much true today. It was true in, you know, the 1940s. It is true in every decade. Um, but there's something about having to sit with the discomfort of this movie that I do really think lingers and challenges in an interesting way. And I don't know what new insight there is to pull from that thing, like meditating on the banality of evil has been around forever. Um, but I, there's just something about this movie that I feel like is a the bracing cold water in the face that is very interesting and important and i think I, I just think it's something that stirs something in you and i think it's it's something that i hope people will check out when it comes out even though it is the furthest thing from the stand and cheer tiff type movie that could possibly be premiering at this festival yeah. uh, but anecdotally like i was excited to watch this the second time because i wanted to know how it would land in the festival i can't yeah people were blown away by this movie but can is a little bit more artsy provocative you know wanting things to d- make you uncomfortable yeah, yeah um this movie i felt like there was kind of a stunned silence around it in the tiff crowd and it seemed like people really 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 went for it still so it yeah anecdotally it has the power to move and stun people even if they are more of your quote typical movie goer who want to stand up and cheer for something um, yeah so i'm I'm just excited for the conversations around this movie. And I think, you know, you mentioned you could just listen to it without watching it. And I totally get what you're saying. I know. Yeah, but I think for as much as they claim that they're draining this movie of emotion, I think it looks amazing. Like, the composition of this movie is incredibly striking and memorable. Yeah. And it feels like an old-school Kubrick movie or something, like 2001. It's like Alien, almost. Like, under the skin, you know? It's making people into this strange robotic alien thing and that I, I just think it's so fucking interesting. Yeah, yeah.
0: And, and and you know, the the comparison to JoJo Rabbit is, you know, obvious in theme, but also when you think about like what those two films are doing is JoJo Rabbit is is pointing at can you believe this type of thing was actually going on? But it's making a joke. It, 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 it's, it's taking a heightened reality to make a joke about a thing so that you can comment on the fact that this is like a reality that, you know, people participated in. This film is going around the other side of that and going into the actual mechanics. And like, what is, what is, what is doing your job well right when you are the person in charge of a concentration camp, Mm. like like what 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 new technologies do you bring to the front like it's 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 taking it to a place where you've even if you've thought a lot about it you've probably never thought about it like this like what what would be the best manager of the horror you know like like it's 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 very very interesting concept and depicting it uh in this way and it's like I was constantly being blown away by, by just ideas it was putting forth on what these, like these characters were doing and having these conversations about, you know, it's like, it's almost like if you go back to Oppenheimer, like the dude who picked where to drop the bomb, it would be like, what if the whole movie was just following that guy and, and, and or the
1: boardrooms where those decisions are
0: being made. Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's, it's doing something really, really compelling Um, And it's it's definitely a a really interesting thought exercise to, like, experience this film. Um, So, yeah, that's that's one of the ways that I would recommend it. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, so, yeah, this is part one, as we said, of our coverage of TIFF 2023. Um, Stephen Miller, if people want to find you that week,
1: where can they do that? If people want to find me, they can go to twitter.com slash miller or com.
0: People can find me at christopherinreallife.com or twitter.com slash Christopher You can find the podcast over at the sportthewarning.com where you can get a bunch of the back episodes of the show. If you want to subscribe to the show, you can do so in Overcast, Apple Podcasts, <laughs> or wherever podcasts are found let's see if you want to know the episodes go live you can follow us at twitter.com slash spoiler warning facebook.com slash the spoiler warning or instagram.com slash the spoiler warning if you want to get a hold of us directly you can send an email to fans at the spoiler warning.com or you can use the contact form on our site music for this episode will probably be a jingle from a trailer for tiff if i can find it um so hopefully you are enjoying that playing right now and uh yes we are about to head off to uh go see a little film called hitman so uh Get ready for that in another two parts (laughs) whenever we get to actually recording that. Um, But, yeah, thanks for listening, everybody, and we will see you soon. Bye. Bye.